Hey everyone, and welcome to the New Visionary Podcast, a podcast for artists who are ready to reach greater heights in their art careers. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, founder of Visionary Art Collective and New Visionary Magazine. Join me for inspiring conversations with some of the most inspirational visionaries in today's art world. Let's jump in. Hey everyone and welcome back. Today we have the absolute pleasure of chatting with Erica B. Hess. Erica is an artist, curator, and founder of I Like Your Work. Some of you might already be familiar with Erica and the incredible work that she is doing right now for the art community. Um, I'm so excited for today's episode. Welcome, Erica. Thank you so much for having me on here. I've really been looking forward to it all day, and I know it's going to be fun. (laughs) I've been looking forward to it, too. And, you know, I've shared with you that I have been following along on your podcast for so many years now. And I think your podcast was actually the first podcast for artists that I ever tuned into. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And I just loved your enthusiasm, your energy. The conversations were so inspiring and motivating. Um, and then I started to learn more about your work as an artist and just all the great things that you're doing across the board. So I'd love to just jump in by asking you about your journey as an artist and how that started for you. Yeah. Well, again, just thanks for having me on here. And I love that you've been listening to the show for so long. We're getting ready to go into our sixth season next year. Six years. I can't believe it because it feels like I just started it yesterday. So to say that it's been six years, it just blows my mind. Um, So yeah, to take you back to my journey as an artist, I have been in the arts pretty much my entire life. You know, like a lot of artists that you have on here, they talk about being a kid and drawing and doing all the things. Uh, I grew up (laughs) pre-internet. So so there wasn't a lot to do. So I did a lot of drawing out in the woods, which you can really see in my work now, decades later. But I ended up going on to study um, painting as an undergrad at Wright State University, where I had incredible mentors, Glenn Sebulash and Diane Fitch, who really nurtured um, my painting self. They um, really inspired me. And I did so much drawing from life. It's insane. Like every Every semester, I would sign up for a drawing from life class, even though I didn't have to. I was like that art student, <laughs> like yes. showing up for all the things, you know? Um, and I, I thought I was going to be a figure painter. But what happened was I ended up going to Boston University to work with John Walker, who was an incredible abstract painter, is an incredible abstract painter. And I wanted to be challenged to get outside of my comfort zone. I was very comfortable with the figure. And to begin making abstract paintings was something that pushed me in a wonderful direction in terms of being able to begin to use paint to express emotional qualities more than just describing, you know, something that was out there, but describing what you're seeing, but also the feeling um, that this object or thing can evoke. So I, I ended up going there where I studied painting. And after that, I moved to New York where I lived in Brooklyn for a few years and um, made some terrible paintings, to be very honest. They were like... <laughs> 
I learned so much from those paintings and I look back at them and there's keys that unlock what I'm doing now. But I was just overwhelmed coming out of a master's program. It was during the economic crisis. So there was like no jobs anywhere. And I had the good fortune of becoming an artist assistant, which was the best education I could have received. And much of what I learned during that time working for three incredible artists, female artists showing in Chelsea is what I teach now to a lot of artists I work with, uh, which is navigating the art world and also just professional practice parts of our lives that I wasn't taught in graduate school, and I know many people weren't. Um, so fast forward, I am now back in the figure, making figurative work or representational work, I guess I should say. And that really came out of having um, children and my body changing and being much more aware of just not where I was in space, but I wanted to remember what was happening around me. I wanted to remember the apartment I was in and the the weird objects I had that we collected because I knew it was that really important to time that wasn't going to last. And so that's how the figure really came back into my paintings. And now you'll see the painting appear in my work um, in reflections and puddles typically is what you're going to see. So some kind of portraits and figurative work that way. Amazing. Amazing. And thank you for sharing all of that. And I love hearing more about your journey. I was, you know, I've been a little bit familiar with your journey, but hearing you talk about it in more detail is is amazing. And so another question that I had for you that I think I've asked you, so before my company was what it is now, it was a blog. And you were one of the first artists we reached out to, to feature on the blog um, in very early 2020. And one of the questions that I had for you then was about your use of color, because that was, I think, one of the biggest things that drew me to your work initially was your bold use of color. I remember you sharing a story with me, um, something that your painting professor had said, <laughs> but I'll let you tell the story and, and just tell us a little bit more about it. So color. I love color. I absolutely love color. I mentioned as an undergrad, I was trained from life. And so lots of ochres, burnt umbers, all like a very natural palette. And I had this professor come up to me. It was Diane Fitch, who's an incredible figure painter. And she said, I'm always telling artists to go darker and use less white. And I'm telling you to go lighter, <laughs> like use some white. <laughs> I was making these like dark paintings. And I think it's because I craved the pigment. Like I wanted a, a big pigment load. I wanted that saturation and color. But in the um, the paint I was using at the time and also the palette I was using, it was very challenging. So fast forward to graduate school, we went to Mexico oh, and it was just like this incredible experience in Mexico City. I mean, just amazing contemporary art um, and just amazing color everywhere. And that really began to infuse my work. I, I, I kept wanting to get like this bright pink and I couldn't, I couldn't get it with, um, my gambling paints, which I love gambling paints, but I went to Guerra, um, paints and I found a fluorescent pigment. I still have like jars of it around here. And I started mixing my own fluorescent paint so that I could just pump up the color. I wanted it to just 
jump out at the viewer and make them feel something. So it really began this hot palette. And I don't know if I shared this story with you, but at our thesis show, this man walked up to me and he said, you're the only one not making depressing paintings. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I don't think the other work was depressing, but there was a lot of, you know, dark colors. And here I was, you know, just with like, throwing everything I had at it. And it was also Boston. It was very dark. So it was a way to combat that. So yeah, that's always really been my interest in color is the uh, emotional tone that it sets. And what actually happened for me during COVID, and I've spoken about this a bit with people, is you know, COVID was such a hard time for everyone. Um, we were locked down. There was a lot of unknown. There was a lot of loss that we all had. And I had my third child during COVID. And um, when I had him, I was given news that he could have a very um, a, a large problem that would affect the rest of his life. And we weren't sure how that was going to play out. And it was the most devastating news I've ever received in my entire life. On top of COVID, where doctors wouldn't come to your room, so it was all over a phone, which is kind of crazy to get terrible news on the phone. Although many of you have probably had that terrible news, that phone call that you never want to receive about a loved one or somebody who's really important in your life. And um it, it really changed me as a person. And I went back into my studio and I wanted to just pick up where I left off. You know, that's what I thought I was going to do. And I started with this hot palette and it, it made me nauseous. It just made me nauseous. I couldn't look at it. I couldn't paint with it. I had to shut it down. I turned them all towards the wall, packed them away. And I started um, making my painting series. It's a triptych. It's called Reflections and Drowning. Um, or reflections on drowning. And it was all brought down. I toned it all down. I was using a lot of dirty turp in the paintings themselves. Um, I didn't want the pops. I didn't want the fun, you know, it was pretty somber, you know, and that helped me readjust my palette in a lot of ways. And as I came out of that time, which everything has worked out really well for me um, in terms of my, my child's health, the color started to seep back in. The less anxiety I had, the less depression I had, it could come back in for me. So I thought it's it's interesting. I've talked about color being a tool to describe emotion, but man, it was it was next level during that time for me as to how much it can really impact you. Thank you for sharing that because that I can't even imagine, honestly. And that's so scary. And also to experience that during the time of COVID, which was already so unsettling and so terrifying for everyone. Um, And it's interesting to hear about the impact that it had on your work, because I remember seeing a shift in your work. I remember when the reflection paintings started to come out and I did notice a big difference in your color palette and the way that you were painting as well. And I also remember I hadn't seen really faces in your work before. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden I started to see these faces appearing. Where is your work at right now? Are you continuing this series? Has it shifted since then? 
Yeah. So it's definitely continued. The portraits and the puddles and the paint handling really came out of, um, you know, I was, I was isolated. We were all isolating and we live across from a pond and I would sit there with my baby, uh, my newborn baby and look over there. And I just could picture myself just sinking, you know, that feeling like, when you're depressed or these other things, I just saw myself sinking and like the leaves over top and just slowly going down. And I became really interested in that imagery and also the um, water metaphor. Like when I got this news, I felt like I was drowning. And that's how I would describe it. And you'd get what I'm saying. And I thought it's so interesting how water, I mean, it's everywhere in our culture, right? Um, it goes back like water of life. You know, we are made of water. Um, I'm in hot water, water under the bridge, like all these ways of describing emotional states. So I decided I was going to move forward with the water and they became these puddles. Because as I went through this depression, and we all kind of collectively went through a depression, um, I had this realization that these things can come and go sometimes, like what's happening in our world, much like a puddle, like it, it is there for a while and then it dissipates, much like our emotional state, right? It's there and then it can dissipate. And the other reason I love these puddles is because it really touches on time because puddles tend to gather in the same spot each time and they deepen, right? And so I just loved this metaphor of like these, when we're flooded, when we're overwhelmed, when we're anxious, it all kind of goes into the same spots in us, right? And then it dissipates, but it still kind of always hits that same spot. So puddles really made sense to me. Um, so I've continued with them. What I think is interesting is how I'm starting to bring in more of what I call the wilderness around it, which is um, painting leaves, flowers, all the stuff I've always loved to paint uh, and hiding things in there. So there, when you see the painting, you can kind of go in. And that sets the tone symbolically for what I'm trying to talk about in the painting. So yes, I've continued doing those and um, really excited to start some new ones really soon too. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. I love the metaphor and, and the symbolism behind your work. And I remember reading a little bit about it when the paintings first started appearing and getting such a deeper understanding of it's not just a puddle that we're looking at with a reflection. There's actually so much more to your work. And even your use of color is symbolic, as you were saying. A question I have for you is, you know, you talk about your work, I think, with such confidence. And so many artists that I work with or that I have met, one of the things that they are working on is getting to a place where they can talk about their work in a very easy, natural, confident way. And I do believe that it comes with time uh, and practice. But I wanted to ask you, like, what has helped you get to the point to where you are now, where you can very easily describe your work, all the different aspects, how it came to be, how your work has evolved? And, and what advice might you give to an artist who is working on that in their own practice? So first off, um, you know, I was given this advice during graduate school, which is anytime you're given a chance to talk about your work, you should do it. And the first few times it's going to be terrible and you're going to have anxiety and you're not going to know what you're saying, but you start to work it out. I think it's one of those things that, um, a lot of times we're in our studio by ourselves and I'll be like thinking through the ideas. I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about that. But then when you have to go speak it, um, 
it starts to not flow as well. And I think there's such power in speaking about our work because it it helps us understand what we're doing too. So I thought that was really great advice I had when I was younger. Uh, and I would also say, you know, I was given a lot of wonderful opportunities to give artist lectures um, throughout my career. And that has been really powerful because what you have to do is if you're giving a talk that is looking, you know, starting at point A and coming up to now, so more of a historical account of your work, you start to notice these connections. And you're like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this the whole time. And I think that's really empowering and gives yourself credit. And that builds your confidence. I would also share that, you know, there were moments where I wasn't confident in my work. You know, uh, I mentioned the paintings I was making in New York. It was like a disaster. <laughs> I mean, I was making abstract paintings and I described this in one of my interviews. Abstract painting for me felt like just like stumbling around in the dark and then you like hit the edge of a, a <laughs> desk and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to hold onto this desk and try and figure out where I am. You know, like that was me making these paintings and I could not have talked to you about them because it was, I wasn't sure what I was doing, but that's okay. And I think that's the big thing. It's okay not to know everything about your work because your work is this organic thing that unfolds as you go through your process and as you go through your life as an artist. And I think we just need to embrace that sometimes. And when we do, like when we embrace, like, I know this much about my work, but I know it's still revealing itself to me. That is a confidence, you know? And I think when I made that switch to, you know, my work is evolving because I'm evolving as a, as a human being. And my work really is a reflection of my place in the world and my place in the world shifts. Then it became a lot easier to talk about. I I also think we always want to think that we have this like final product, like, bam, I've done it. This is the work. Here's my statement. I'm done. But it never is. It's never done. So I, I guess that would be my advice is embracing that. That's amazing advice. And and it's true. Like it's it's okay to have moments where you're not confident in your work because the confident the confidence comes over time. And it evolves with the work. And I also really appreciate what you said about allowing your work and giving it space to shift and evolve. Because, I mean, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, my goodness, I can relate to that as an artist. That feeling of just, okay, I've arrived at what I'm doing and this is what I'm going to be doing forever. Um, and this is like the finished thing. And then every year that I think that, it, it changes. And sometimes you do see, you almost always see common threads or like, a, a golden thread that connects all of your work together if you look over time. But we have to, I think, give ourselves permission for our work to change. And I do find that sometimes we create work because we want to be consistent, even when we have, we've moved on and we're ready to embrace something else or, or just explore something new. So I think that that was really great advice. You know, you brought up a really good point there too, which is We've somehow been, it's, it's such a hard thing in the art world, right? Like people want to see consistency in your work, yet they want you to always be on the cutting edge of something new and interesting. And I think we have to remember that for better or worse, the art world is like a lot of other places where there's going to be trends and there's going to be things like that that happen. And we can't hit every trend. 
or that is going to do an injustice to ourselves and to our work. So it's hard to hang in between those times. You know what I mean? Um, a good friend of mine, you know, she is an abstract painter. And a few years ago, you know, figurative painting became like the new big thing, which had been out of vogue for so long. And you know, that was like a tough moment for her because she's like, oh, I'm afraid my shows are going to dry up, etc. cetera. Um, but what I think we can do is just stay true to who we are and therefore our work. And again, that's where the confidence comes is when you're like, nope, this is what I do and this is what I need to be doing. I know that. I know it deep down. Then you have that confidence. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think it takes time to really lean into that and to understand that as long as you are creating work that feels really authentic to you, that is the most important thing. And it will be easier for you to talk about and it will be easier for you to make the work and enjoy making it if you are less focused on what people around you mm -hmm. um, are creating. So I really appreciate that. And I want to ask you, I mean, so many questions. I'm like, where do I start? But <laughs> I want to ask you about I Like Your Work because, um, I mean, even before we got on this podcast, I was telling you how much I admire you for all the things you're doing. You are an amazing painter. You are actively exhibiting your work, making your work. In addition to being a mom of three, <laughs> you run I Like Your Work, which has evolved from a podcast to now a really amazing uh, forward-thinking platform and community. So I would love to just hear about how that started. When did you get the idea to launch a podcast and how has it evolved into what it is today? I started the podcast right after I basically had my children. Um, and the reason being... <laughs> If I totally tell the story, it's kind of hilarious. But, you know, I had my child and I was like, I can't paint, work a full-time job because I had a full-time job at the time and be a mom, like something's going to have to give. And so we shifted things around and I created what I call my beard job. So I didn't want a resume gap because I know how that impacts women. Um, you know, I'm from a single parent family. I've seen this happen to women. I know just how it is. And I didn't want that on my, my resume. I was really afraid of that. But interestingly enough, my beard job became like a job job. <laughs> like people started contacting me. I was helping undergraduates and students who were applying to art schools put their portfolio together because that's what I had done at University of Michigan in Mass Art. So I start this business basically. And I was like, this is great. You know, I've got an income, I'm doing the things, I'm painting. And then I made the hard decision to move. Uh, we were living in Boston and I loved my art community there. I love that I was able to go to New York all the time, but I knew deep down that we couldn't stay because it was so expensive. And my mother had turned 70 and I knew that if I didn't see her and spend time with her, that I would regret that. Because I think that's the other thing we always have to take into consideration with our art career and career in general in our life is that it's easy to think there's just the career in this, but we all have other things that we're juggling and that we need to honor, you know? Um, so that was it for me. And we, we relocated to Columbus, Ohio, and I thought that was going to be like the nail in my, the coffin of my career or something, you know, you're told not to leave the East Coast ever. I never thought I would leave the East Coast, but it ended up being the best career move I could have made, which is like 
insane to think about. So when we moved, I thought, I don't want to leave my or lose my, my art community. I was listening to a lot of podcasts when I was painting at the time. And I originally thought I was going to start a blog. I was like, I'm going to start this blog. I'm going to interview artists because I'd always kind of been doing that. Um, I've, done, I've made zines, a lot of different things like that way back in the day. So I started the blog and I thought, oh my gosh, I feel really exposed <laughs> and insecure about putting my writing out all the time. I'd get really sucked into it. I didn't think I was a good enough writer. And I thought, I'm really comfortable talking to artists. So let's just do a podcast. And that's how it started. It started with Google <laughs> and me figuring it out. And if you listen to, you know, the first season, which don't go listen to my first episode. I had no idea what I was doing. I think I even talk about breaking and entering, not even joking, like in that episode. <laughs> not that I'm doing that. It was for art's sake. But anyway, um, you can actually hear acorns falling on the top of my van because that's where I was recording because we were moving. And I just thought, I can make this work. I'm just going to make it work. And that's really been my approach in a lot of aspects of my life is you can always figure out a way to do something, you know, and we don't have to follow what we're told to do all the times or the way it's been done before. And I like to question how things have been done because they don't always make sense to me. <laughs> so um, the podcast ended up growing to a become the catalog and it started with an exhibition in person. And I was just amazed at how many people applied. And I thought, everybody wants to get their work out there. I want to get my work out there. I get it. And so I like your work has really grown because I feel like I'm an artist and I know I know what I want as an artist. So how can I provide that for other people? So yeah, six years later, here we are. We have our catalogs. We have a membership where I work with artists to help grow their professional practice. And um, of course, the podcast itself, the interviews. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. And I love what you said about, you know, there's always a way to figure out how to do something. I'm currently reading uh, in our book club, we're reading Everything is Figureoutable by Marie Forleo. I haven't read that, but it sounds amazing <laughs> and I want to. <laughs> it is, it is changing my life. I mean, so many nuggets of wisdom, but that is really the premise of the book is like, there is always a way. And sometimes you have to get really scrappy and really creative with your thinking. But I think the beautiful thing about us as artists is that we naturally are creative thinkers and creative problem solvers. And we can always find ways to do things because that's just how our brain works. And I just, I really appreciate that message. And I think it's such an important message because sometimes when we're starting a new project, it can feel really overwhelming. And I've experienced this in just building my company where you have something really big you're about to embark on. And there are so many pieces you have to figure out that it's almost like analysis paralysis and it can happen really fast, but just breaking it down one step at a time, one small chunk at a time. And then you realize, okay, I can do this. And I think that actually your confidence grows the more and more you practice that. Yeah. Movement, right? Movement. Movement is key. You know, we can always overthink things. And I think like 
part of just being naive going into the podcast was helpful because I was like, I don't know. We're just going to see how this goes. I never thought it was going to grow. You know, I just wanted to talk to artists, but the movement will carry you forward, just like in your work and your paintings. You know, we think, oh my gosh, what am I doing right now? Well, look back. You have all this work that you've created and that will keep propelling you forward. You just have to trust it. Same thing with building something as well. Yes, absolutely. And you trust yourself more and more over time. And it is the movement. I mean, you know, when you were telling me about that first podcast episode, I was just thinking back to an example that I read last night in Marie Forleo's book where she was talking about the first workshop. I mean, now she has, you know, she's done TED Talks and she teaches in front of thousands of people. Um, but her first workshop that she ever did was in her friend's basement and five people showed up and two of those people were her parents one of them was her <laughs> one of them was her friend uh, whose basement she was teaching in and then they like managed to get a couple neighbors to join but she was talking about how you know she was like oh my goodness it was such a cringy moment i think i think that part of the book is actually called my my first cringy workshop but you have to start somewhere and you know, it, it does. Once you get the energy moving, the momentum, and I really feel you can only learn through doing and making those mistakes. We have to give ourselves grace because someone told me recently, because I, I was showing her, it was actually a mentor that I was working with, and I showed her some of the first presentations I ever gave to artists and we were looking at the slides and oh my goodness, I think that, you know, the content was good, but it was a hot mess the way they were organized and she said, you know, if you had have started with what you're teaching now and the way you're teaching it now, you would have started too late. Yeah. You have to start before you're ready. And then you yes. grow and you learn. And I, it really resonated. That's so key. Starting before yeah. you're ready. Because once you have everything figured out, you're like, oh, in two years, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Because I've done this in my life as well. It's too late. It's just too late. You know, um, yeah. you had the idea then let's implement it now, you know, because there's, we always have an idea of how things will go. Right. And it's never right. Never right. This is actually one of the best things I've, I learned in therapy. I have a wonderful therapist who I adore. And I came to the real, realization, like anything, like any big scenario I've thought of in my head of things going wrong will never happen because I have never predicted anything accurately. And that was like the biggest stress reliever I've, I've had, you know, all those yeah. scenarios you pictured not going to happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's so important to remember that like, oh my gosh, Erica, when I started my company, I remember I was absolutely terrified. I left my full-time job I ran my company for one year while also working my full-time job, which was an insane year. And then I, I made that leap to go full-time with it. And I would have visions of myself like penniless on the streets. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> if it doesn't work out, I'll be like on the streets. I'll have nowhere to live. And then I really started diving into that particular fear. And I was like, wait, that's never going to happen. Like I have friends I could stay with. I could also just go get another job. Like... I think it's so important to challenge those fears because our brain will go to the worst case scenario in an attempt to protect us. But, you know, and I will say for anyone who's embarking on a new project or really just any artist or entrepreneur listening, um, the two best books I think that really highlight this uh, would be Big, Big Magic by Liz Gilbert and Everything is Figureoutable by Marie Forleo because both those authors really dive into fear 
um, and kind of unpack the fears that many of us have specifically as creatives. But I love what you said. And I think it's like so important to remember that those things will probably not happen. (laughs) I've never predicted anything accurately. Yep. Never predicted anything. So, (laughs) (laughs) and I think it goes both ways. It's like, also, I'm sure when you started your podcast, if you had a vision of you today with a catalog and a membership and a huge community that you have built, um, you would have just been in awe. Like if you could see yourself six years ago. I would have been like, how do I get there? I would have tried to like reverse engineer and be like, I have no idea, you know, and probably have been totally overwhelmed because it was literally like, I always think of running. I used to love running and I was amazed that I could do, I'd like to say six miles. It was more like three miles. (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot. But by putting one foot in front of the other and I would just look and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do three miles from this just over and over and over and over again. And I think of that still, like when I'm trying to do a painting, a big painting or build something new, it's just maintaining, just go one step, one step, one step, you know? Yes. Yes. And then it's like, you see what that can amount to over time. And it really is the consistent dedication. And you and I were chatting a little bit before we started recording about how we're both feeling really inspired right now to get back into, well, for me, it's really getting back into my practice for you. It's going probably deeper in, but I wanted to ask you, which, you know, the million dollar question, which I'm sure you've heard or been asked so many times, which is how do you balance all the things, being a mom, being a painter, being an entrepreneur, any advice you would give? I think about it a lot and how I I will answer this. And I think there's a few things going on. And I used to say, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with my calendar and list making, which I am. But I have to be honest, it's not always a consistent practice. And I share that because I think people can get really overwhelmed when they hear, oh, I need to have a better calendar system and a better list making system, but that's not me. I'm never going to be able to do it. Um, I will go in and out of that. You know, I will also say I have a wonderful community and I have set up things in my life unknowingly, surprisingly, um, to really serve being a professional and a, a mother, you know, and those were things that were kind of scary to do sometimes. Like I took a leap in terms of childcare and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford this, but I'm going to do it. And that started in Boston actually to protect my practice. I, uh, I had one day a week where, you know, I had full coverage and that was a big stretch, but it was, it was such a good, again, a leap a leap that I had to take. And I've done those that in other areas to give myself breathing room. I also have realized that I have to, it's not saying no to things exactly, but it's realizing what I have, the mental and emotional and physical ability to do at a certain time. Like there's so many things I would love to do with I Like Your Work. I have the ideas, I have the passion, but I also have to say, is that sustainable for me right now? And um, sometimes, and a lot of times it's a no. I have to figure out where to put that energy that 
like we were talking about in my practice means I'm going to have to pull back on something else to put it there. So I think it's just kind of being a, a realist. No, it's never going to be perfect. It is never perfect. Sometimes it's a hot mess of me running around to doctor's appointments and things with my kids, running in here to do an interview. Um, and other times it's a lot more relaxed. But all that being said, I will say, where's my book? I do love this book. <laughs> You've probably seen it, Getting Things Done. You can listen to him on a podcast. I can't remember where he was on. He speaks a lot. He's a really interesting guy. David Allen is his name. The book is Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. And he talks about um, the mind isn't a place for storing lists. It's a place for creative thought. And that was a game changer for me. The more I can get things out into a list, I have like a crazy list thing over here. Um, and it's a binder. <laughs> I feel less anxiety because I am prone to anxiety, you know, and so I'm always kind of navigating that. So I would say knowing it's never going to be perfect and nobody expects you to be perfect. And if they do, you know, whatever, like they're probably not perfect. So not being perfect, um, list making for me is huge. And, um, knowing when I don't have the energy to do something, you know, and there's seasons, seasons of making seasons are huge. Some seasons I am coaching basketball for my daughter, which I did do. It was crazy. It was like five games, but I did it. I was like, check what a cool experience, you know? Um, and then another season I was gearing up for a show and I'm like crazy painting in my studio, you know? So the ebb and flow, I hope that made sense. I feel like there's a lot of stuff there I just said. <laughs> but so, so much good stuff because it's all so relevant and so important. And I think, you know, progress over perfection is so, so important. And also like, you know, I think it is important to remember the reality of the situation because when we look at people we admire and we see them doing all the things and we wonder how they do it and it, it's true what you're saying. It's usually not some like magic Thing that they're doing, they probably are also prioritizing. And that's what I've come to really lean into is like just focusing on your, your daily priorities. And sometimes when you have a season for making, art is your, your priority. And then there might be weeks or days or, or months even where you are tied up with other things and it's less of a priority and you have to prior, prioritize something else. Um, but knowing that it's not always linear and it's not always uh, like when we think of balance, I always used to think of balance as, okay, so you're doing all the things you love for the same amount of time every day <laughs> and you have this really consistent schedule and everything is just really balanced in your life. But actually I've come to realize and understand that true balance um, is not that way at all. And that's not feasible or sustainable. It's real balance is is often working in seasons and it's just making sure you have time for all the things you love but really understanding that that time is going to shift and it's going to look different depending on the day the week the month um and it's just you start to think about it differently yeah yeah i remember a podcast i did oh my gosh this was probably 3 years ago I called it uh, flexible sustainability. And it's something I'm really interested in, in terms of how I have lived my life, which is you have to build in flexibility because you're going to need it. 
the car breaks down, the grant doesn't go through, there will always be something that happens. Um, and you need to give yourself enough room to be able to pivot and work with that, whatever pops up, but in a way that's sustainable. And so I think that that's a really important aspect of being a creative, of being a maker, of being an entrepreneur is being able to have, have that flexibility. So with the balance, you're saying, you know, yeah, you have six months where, I don't know, your cat has to have dialysis or something. I don't know. I'm trying to think of something kind of ridiculous, although that would not be ridiculous if it, if it was my cat. I would feel very upset. Um, but you have to show up, right, for the cat and get the things done. And you're like, okay, well, I can't do this, this, and this at this time. Or you scale it back. I'm big on scaling it back. Like when I can't be in my studio all the time, I make phone drawings or I have little drawings. So I'm still sustaining some movement forward. It's just not as like a 10 foot painting, you know, and the same thing with the podcast. When we had our shutdown in 2020 and I was going through a lot of personal stuff, I just kept, <laughs> I was like, maintain, maintain. That was my big word. It was my mantra. Just maintain. You are not going to grow anything um, other than this child. You're not going to do anything beyond this. Even though I think entrepreneurs we have and artists, we have that oh, but I could do this. I could do this. I could do that. So sometimes reining it in and other times you unleash it, you know, but just knowing when is the right time for you. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. You're saying this because I was having these exact thoughts this week where I was like, okay, for the next couple of weeks, I'm just going to, I have all these ideas for new things. And I'm like, at least for the month of May, I just want to maintain, um, because, you know, we're coming off of the heels of a really big project and, uh, you have to know, you have to intuitively know and really listen to that because burnout can happen really easily. And we were chatting a little bit about that earlier as well. Um, and it's like paying attention to those voices and those signs so you don't get to a point where you take on more than you can handle and you reach that point of burnout. Yes, 100% agree with what you were saying right there. Uh, you've got you to gotta trust yourself. And no, you can always go back to that idea. You know, write it down, store it away, make your list, and then go back to it and give yourself some grace and some space to breathe, you know? Absolutely. It's so important. And I think a lot of us know that or think about that on a conceptual level, but it's really leaning into that and really practicing giving yourself grace in the moment and actually... I think when it comes to your art practice and also just your personal life and anything you have going on, like allowing that room, that margin of error. That's what, when you were talking about it, I was like, oh my gosh, my mom always talks about that. Uh, but she, and she always calls it the margin of error. You know, you have to give room, you have to allow room for that in your life. But, oh my gosh, Erica, it, it's such a joy to chat with you. And I, I truly feel like I could chat with you for hours, but I want to ask you before we start wrapping up, like, Anything that any final words of advice you would like to give to our audience, especially this time of year or as we're going into the summer months, we have so many listeners who are artists or entrepreneurs. Um, what would you like to impart on them today? I think the two words that surface for me when you ask this question are trust and joy. I think as we've been talking about in terms of building a business or your practice and having confidence in it, it comes down to trust and trusting yourself. You know, we are in a culture where 
specifically women. I mean, it happens with men too, but we are taught not to trust ourselves, that we need to look at a magazine or look at a blog to understand what we should wear, what looks best for our figure, or you know how we should proceed when we are asking for a raise from our boss. And those are all great things. Like I love that we have so many resources, but what it starts to reinforce in us is that we cannot trust ourselves to make those decisions. Um, and I think it's becoming more of a thing each year with our with social media or like we, you know, do a poll. Yes, it's good to get other people's input, but we have to learn how to trust ourselves in our work and with what works best for us because what works for person A is not going to work for person B all the time, you know, because we have so many different situations, so many different um, personality makeups. So just learning to lean into that more and more is huge. And I think the second is joy and grabbing onto that when Ever you can because sometimes it will go away. And joy is what gets us through the hard times. It's what gets us through when your painting's rejected, when something doesn't work out with your business, when there's, you know, a health concern, you know, is those moments of really letting you yourself fully be in that space. And I think that's hard. I know sometimes it's hard for me. I can get into these spaces where I'm always thinking about the next thing or thinking about what could go wrong or thinking about how a podcast I recorded will be received. And I really am personally working on this for myself is to pull that back and let myself enjoy the fact that we're artists, that we get to do this and have conversations, that we get to, to meet amazing people who are doing what they were born to do, you know, and creating. And so just having that joy, I think can help us build up um, so that when we do get hit with harder things, we can sustain and maintain through there. So um, yeah, trust and, and joy. Oh my gosh. I, I love that so much. And, and I think when we think about joy too, it doesn't always have to be, and this is something I've been really leaning into lately, especially after reading, um, Brandy Hover's book, mm -hmm. um, uh, color me happy, which is all about, uh, finding small moments of joy. And we just discussed it in our book club and Brandy came in as a guest author. And we actually had this really powerful conversation about joy and how you can find it in such small ways throughout the day. It doesn't have to be something super big and, and exciting and it can be, but thinking about just really small things that bring you joy, like a morning walk or like a morning cup of coffee, like taking time to really just take it in and the smell and like, yes, um, you're speaking no, my don't. love language with the coffee there. <laughs> it was so funny this morning. Yes, my yes. my son, he's he's going to be six, and he started making us coffee in the morning. Oh, that is a joy, and he knows how I like my coffee now, and he wants to make it. Like that's that you want. It's six thirty in the morning. And he wants to make it, and I'm like, this, and you know, it's fleeting. <laughs> I think that's the other thing with joy is that you know it, we can find it in these small moments, um, but it's not it's not consistent. I mean. I've talked about it earlier. No emotion is going to constantly be there. Happiness will not always be the things, all the things. Yeah. So um, just hanging on to it, you know, and, and really, yeah. really living it. And being really present for it. Like I was, I mean, I'll just share quickly, but I was, I was watching the sunset the other day um, 
we live right on the water in Brooklyn or very close to the water. And you could see it going down like every second. I was like, just hanging on, hanging on because soon it's going to go, you know, but it's like, it keeps you so present uh, when you know it's about to disappear in like just a few seconds. Um, And I think we really need to, it's just a reminder to approach life that way. I'm trying to even just taking a hot shower in the morning instead of being so in my head and thinking about all the things that are happening to the point where sometimes Erica, I'm like, did I just use conditioner? Like I can't even, you know, because I'm like, I'm just like doing the shampoo and doing the conditioner. And then I'm like, wait, did I even just like, I can't even remember if I actually just like conditioned my hair or if I just use the shampoo because I'm thinking about everything and I'm almost like I'm moving on autopilot. Mm -hmm. So then in those moments, I'm like, okay, slow down, like feel the hot water, like enjoy this moment, maybe play some music, just um, be more present because I think there's a really strong connection between joy and being present. And, and that is part of grabbing onto joy is really just connecting with it, you know, until it passes because it ultimately will. Um, and just do practicing that every day. It is a practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. This was an amazing conversation. I'm like in such good spirits. I feel so rejuvenated after <laughs> chatting with you. You have such great positive energy. I can feel it through the screen. Oh, uh, well, thank you. Yeah. It was, it, I feel the same way. This was like such a great conversation. You're right. We could have like many of these on lots of different topics. Oh. Uh, it's just really wonderful to talk to you about all, all oh. the wonderful things that are being created, right? You know, it's just, um, we are really lucky. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah. We are. Yeah. Thank you so much. And um, tell us where our amazing listeners can find out more about you. And I'll include everything in the show notes as well. Great. Yeah, thank you. So you can find my work on my personal website, Erica B. Hess, uh, and also on Instagram at Erica B. Hess. You can look up I Like Your Work podcast.com. That is where we have all of our past seasons are on there. We have Studio Visit Artists, which is incredible. I'm kind of obsessed with them. So we share a Q&A, it's written form and images from artists from all around the world who are creating fantastic work. We also have our catalogs that you can find there that are curated by just amazing people in the art world. Um, so you can apply to be a studio visit artist or in our catalog on our site as well. So that's I like your work podcast.com. And then we have our membership, which is the works And that's our professional practice membership, where we talk a lot about the nuts and bolts of being a creative. You know, I, I was talking to somebody recently that I feel like a lot of times artists are told like, just go make more work, just go make more work, or that's what we fall back on. But the things that we need to focus on are in our professional practice. So getting our CVs, our press packets, all the things together, knowing how to be in a studio visit, knowing how gallerists find people. Um, so those are the things that we cover in there with our community. So that's the worksmembership.com. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Erica. It's such a joy as always. We'll have to have you back on at some point. I would love uh, to. And you <laughs> need to be over on I Like Your Work podcast too. So we'll have to set Aww. that up so you guys can hear yes. Victoria over there. <laughs> Aww, thank you so much. That would be such a, such an honor and such, such a joy. Um, so thank you. And thank you everyone for tuning in. We will see you next time. All right. Thank you.
Thank you for tuning in and supporting our platform. To learn more about New Visionary Magazine, head over to visionaryartcollective.com slash magazine. You can order individual copies on Amazon or subscribe annually to digital issues. We also have opportunities to get featured in the magazine, so be sure to join our newsletter and follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or tag us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.